Today's musical instrument of the day is the acoustic guitar, a member of the string family. It sounds like this. everyone, and welcome back to Music, the Universal Language, a podcast where we discuss the important aspects in the world of music. My name is Allie. And my name's Charles. We are still the hosts of this podcast. Last episode, we talked a lot about our history with music and how to start one's journey in the world of music. And now that we're on our second episode, we can get into discussion of the various manufacturers of instruments and which ones to buy, along with how to get started improving your skills. Shall we start with Yamaha, then? We might as well. They're in the title of this episode. Okay. So, to any water sports enthusiast, Yamaha is probably already a pretty big name in your life, as they make several models of boats and jet skis, and pretty high quality as well, for my many memories on the lake in the summers with my uncle. Yeah, I have a memory. I, I saw a Yamaha motorcycle at my apartment complex once. It was red and shiny and cool looking. But, but don't go on my anecdotal evidence alone, because their name is literally the Yamaha Motor Company. Yeah, that's true. They make ATVs and snowmobiles too. However, I really know Yamaha more for its line of musical instruments. Yamaha, throughout the years, has established a reputable line of instruments and accessories, and according to the official Yamaha website, this ranges from pianos and orchestral instruments to guitars, drum sets, and amps. From what I can remember, I've only used a Yamaha instrument once. Everything else was Casio or Korg or Ludwig or Fender or something like that. And this instrument was a digital keyboard. This was either in a guitar center or one of the local music stores I've been to. I really enjoyed playing on it because the keyboard actually had weighted keys to, uh, to emulate playing on a real grand piano with strings and hammers in it. Apparently a lot of nicer keyboards have weighted keys. Yeah, um, Yamaha is actually a really popular brand for beginning musicians of all backgrounds because of the quality of the instruments for the cost. This is especially the case with any brass instrument or string instrument, along with a large majority of orchestral percussion, such as snare drums and bass drums, your mallet percussion, and all sorts of stuff. People that are also looking for their first drum set or electric piano should also consider looking at Yamaha as well. Yeah, from my experience, the only bad or scary thing about Yamaha for any new user would probably be the price points, but Yamaha makes very good instruments, so it's only fair. I have seen that Casio prices their instruments less expensively, and they're also pretty good. And Casio makes watches and calculators, but in the field of instruments, they make a lot of keyboards. On the price point, because that's a very big point for a lot of people, buying an instrument is not cheap. I'm sorry, like especially when you're looking for a quality beginner instrument. Um, if you're seeing one of those like, oh, I got this guitar for 40 bucks on Amazon, it's probably more of like, Yes, it's a guitar and it'll work for you, but ultimately the quality won't last you for very long. Um, if you're looking for a beginner instrument, you're probably going to be looking around $100, depending on what you're buying. If you're buying like a clarinet or a flute or a saxophone, like a wind instrument of any kind, it's going to be 
even more expensive. This is especially if it's new. Um, not all, but a lot of music stores will allow people to pay off the instrument in monthly payments, which does help with the cost, but not all music stores will do that. Yeah, that's cool about the monthly payments. I didn't know that <laughs> on today's episode of Things I Learned Today, right? Mm-hmm. Not all stores will, but a lot of places do offer plans with some of the more expensive instruments. I remember having one when I got my first clarinet, which was around $1,000, I think. Um, however, not all instruments have to be bought new. Uh, when buying an instrument used, one must be cautious, super, super cautious, when looking at quality and the condition of the instruments. Now, I personally don't have any experience in renting or paying a monthly loan or in purchasing used instruments. Every instrument I purchased myself was bought new, and the only previously used instrument I do have is the electric guitar my dad gave me in 2017. But whether you buy an instrument new or used, make sure it is of good quality. And if it's not, don't buy it unless you're willing to put in even more money to get it fixed by someone who repairs instruments regularly. Yeah. If... If you're going to buy an instrument used, which you can, totally fine. But if you don't know much about it, um, I would really try and have someone that's more knowledgeable of the instrument look at it and see what they think. If you're buying it from someone locally, see if you can try it out first if you, before you buy it or take it to have someone look at it. That kind of thing. Um, I did a really dangerous thing in college and I bought a clarinet off of eBay with just looking at pictures. And I'm lucky that it actually ended up being a really good quality clarinet, but there's a lot of times that they'll post pictures and it's actually worse than what they posted. So be careful. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's kind of eBay in general. But, yeah. you know, for, for woodwinds, there's a there's a website called Woodwind and Brasswind, which from here on out will be abbreviated as WWBW. And they seem to be a great online retailer for wind instruments and orchestral strings. This is not an advertisement or a sponsorship. They're just really good and very comprehensive. Check them out at WWBW.com. Uh, for something less orchestral, check out Musician's Friend at musiciansfriend.com. This isn't an advertisement or sponsorship from them either. They're a pretty good website for ordering guitars, bass, drums, recording equipment, DJ equipment, amplifiers. My mom got my MIDI keyboard and my studio speakers there. It's pr really pretty standard, and it's kind of like Guitar Center. Speaking of which, Guitar Center also has a website. Another website to look at for specifically percussion is um, LoneStarPercussion.com, which is a company made by percussionists, for percussionists, like anything percussion they have, including sticks, drum sets, world percussion, amplification, sheet music, marimbas, snare drums, like all of the percussion things. And they have so many more things. I have a lot of friends that are percussionists. They play drums and they shop there pretty often. Now that we've listed some websites to find and purchase musical instruments, we can show you where to find music lessons. YouTube is a great start, because it has all the resources you'd ever need to learn how to play on any musical instrument. YouTube has countless hours of lessons and play-along footage. There's also musictheory.net, which we mentioned in the previous episode. They have music lessons and exercises on their website, and as iPad apps. While I agree that YouTube is really, really helpful and free, and I've definitely used it before. I would also really recommend getting lessons if you're wanting to get serious on any instrument. Um, usually any major or even community university that offers a music degree 
usually has a plethora of music students willing to offer lessons for a relatively low price or an actual music school that's run through the university. Getting lessons from a person allows you to make sure that your form is correct, that you're reading the music correctly, and it allows for a way to build your skills on an instrument while still playing pieces you like. Other places to turn if you don't live near a university include music stores and online. There are a lot of people nowadays that have private studios and give lessons locally or even over the internet. In the typical music lesson, and I'm chiefly talking about an in-person lesson, but this could apply to learning virtual too, there are lesson books that the instructor tells you to buy and practice during the week. Then on whatever day of the week your lesson is, you go to the studio and play it to the instructor. The way I see it is that lessons are kind of like tutoring for your instrument. Um, If you're just starting out, they'll help a lot more with establishing the fundamentals and how to read music, play the instrument, and helping with songs, but... Whenever you get better, they're more directed at increasing musicality, style, and techniques with whatever pieces you're working on. I really like hearing your perspective about this sort of thing. It's different from what I've always known, and that's just because I'm not really well-versed in music theory. But once you've gotten an instrument, and once you've received sufficient lessons, you might want to start learning real pieces of music, or even write your own. Oh, there are so many places to buy music online. Um... Let me see, Sheet Music Plus is a good one, along with GrothMusic.com, JWPepper.com. Honestly, I could keep going, but usually if you just search the title of the song that you want to buy, it will give you more websites than you want to look through. So if I wanted to purchase a copy of Let It Go from Frozen or something for flute, I would just type Let It Go Flute music and give me a bunch of different places to buy it it's like buying a book honestly right and once you've obtained your pieces of music now you need to practice it there are several different ways you can practice playing music because if you practice now you won't make mistakes later well obviously now obviously if you practice a piece once or twice you won't automatically get it 100 percent perfect but your skills in relation to the specific piece you are practicing will improve with every time you practice it this is the reason why musicians typically prefer practicing the pieces given to them as opposed to sight reading see i'm gonna totally go 180 on you um i think that sight reading is so so important And it really helps your skills as a musician. Um, I'm not saying it's fun. It's not. It's not fun. I. It's not. I'm sorry. I don't want to get around it. But it's so helpful in improving your reading skills. It's like it challenges your brain and it lets you read a piece of music you might be wanting to play without just totally butchering it. Or it just helps you become more comfortable at reading in certain keys or in certain time signatures. Because you're, it's like, it's like learning new vocabulary. You have to practice it in order to get better at it. Um, speaking of practicing, um, on to practicing music you are working on. I know that everyone has their own way that they prefer to practice, but how do you go about practicing, Charles? Mm, Okay, so there's... (laughs) There's two different kinds of techniques that I use, both of which are somewhat unorthodox to the traditional music theorist. When dealing with sheet... Oh no, let's see. What? 
when dealing with sheet music so oh no let's see (laughs) (laughs) when dealing with sheet music sometimes i write the letters for the notes under the notes so i can follow along with it better this also helps me to stop forgetting where the b is on a treble clef where the d is on a bass clef that sort of thing when not dealing with sheet music i tend to just learn songs by ear i've always been more of an auditory learner than a visual learner everyone's different and everyone learns differently and learning by ear just works for me. It's it's also why I like using MuseScore so much when writing sheet music. Because when I place a note on the staff, let me scroll down. When I place a note on the staff, it plays it plays the note whenever I left click. But what practice techniques do you use, Allie? Uh, I'm cringing. For me, like. Writing notes in is, like, the last thing that I do. I really only write a note in if I've missed the same accidental, like, 15 times and circling it and drawing arrows and circling it again and circling a different color and highlighting and everything else if that didn't help because I've missed it so many times. But nowadays, that happens very rarely. It happened more when I was younger, but now that I've played for forever, I don't really do it anymore. When practicing a new piece, I really like to start working on it super, super, super slow um, with a metronome on so that I can make sure that all my notes and rhythms are right. And then after I've worked the entire piece at that tempo and all the notes and rhythms are right, then I will get the metronome a little faster and start over. I work phrase by phrase and slow down sections that I find challenging to me and work them out by repeating the passage over and over again. When I'm doing this, sometimes I'll change the rhythms up so that I can get the notes down, or I will play it all on one note so I can get the rhythms down. So if I have like something that's super technical and it's like a weird key run, um, instead of doing just like straight sixteenths, so da 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 da, I'll do like bum 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 so that you're doing like offsetting of the beats and you could think about the notes more so than just reading the music. If I'm doing a really syncopated measure. Sometimes I'll put lines where the downbeats are in the measure. Then I will keep figuring out the piece little by little and increasing the tempo until I have the piece up to tempo and it's ready to perform. And this is not a quick process. It really takes a while to perfect a piece. But the way that I do this allows me to understand the piece as opposed to just reading it on paper. While this method is the same, across the board you'll have to choose pick and choose different things to work on from player to player from piece to piece because it's just really dependent on what you're working on something that i think might be super hard might be super easy for someone else vice versa the type of music you're playing is super important Um, a piece of music with a lot of notes in it is going to be harder to just get the notes down but a piece that's super slow and pretty is going to be harder to make musical are there any other practice methods that you want to point out Yeah, um, listening to recordings of pieces that you're learning is also really, really helpful in making sure you're playing it right, um, hearing how other people have phrased the piece you're working on, how you may not have liked how they did it. um, Because even though everyone's reading the same piece of music, it's really interesting how much performances can differ because of how someone chooses to articulate or have certain dynamics. And overall stylistic choices that make every person's interpretation of a piece so different and unique. So, in the title of this episode, we said practice makes permanent. Why does practice makes permanent? 
I know it's more of a music theory saying, but I think it should be explained to the audience here. <laughs> okay. So, with any other skill, you have to practice it in order to get better, you know? This includes everything from practicing your instrument, doing an ollie on a skateboard, making a souffle, shooting a layup, and literally anything you have to try more than once to get right. You put in the work to make sure that you're doing the best you can at whatever you're doing. So this is what makes things permanent. This is something you do so many times you can rarely mess up. But if you learn it the wrong way, it is so much harder to relearn it the right way than if you just take the time to learn it the right way in the first place. Um, if I learned a piece in the wrong key, it would take me a lot of time to unlearn how I had learned it and relearn it in the correct key. Speaking of learning, let's learn about the acoustic guitar, which is the musical instrument of the day. The invention of the acoustic guitar, which is any guitar with a sound hole in the body that does not require amplification to be heard, is somewhat of a muddy concept. In 1850, Antonio de Torres Jorado, who was a guitarist and guitar maker from Spain, is credited with designing the modern guitar. Jorado is credited with the invention of a style of internal bracing called fan bracing. Sometime later, a German immigrant in America named Christian Frederick Martin invented the X-bracing. These names for bracing within the guitar refer to how they look, which cannot be seen without cutting one open. There are two types of acoustic guitars, the regular acoustic guitar and the classical guitar. The main difference between them is the type of strings that they use. Acoustic guitars usually have steel strings and classical guitars usually have nylon strings. The shape of the guitar itself also changes slightly. There is also a difference in the style of playing, but it all depends on what kind of piece you are playing. The acoustic guitar can be played in several different ways, such as strumming, picking, and playing harmonics. Anyway, to cite our sources, we did our research on the Yamaha website, whoinventedit.net, and acousticguitar.com. Once again, thank you for that super interesting bit of information. Um, I didn't really know there was different kinds of bracing, so that's super interesting. I will let you take the wheel on this next section, since you know more about guitars and guitar music than I do. So, who are some guitar players that I could listen to if I'm wanting to listen to good examples of guitarists? Well, for now, I'm chiefly talking about acoustic guitar players, not classical or electric acoustic. I'll tell you about my three guitar gods on the electric guitars episode, but for now, American folk music utilizes the acoustic guitar, sometimes almost exclusively, with figures such as Bob Dylan. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Woody Guthrie. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest. Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. And Simon and Garfunkel. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Caetano Veloso, who is a Brazilian artist who makes Tropicalia music, is also an acoustic guitarist worth noting. Há muita gente apagada pelo tempo nos papéis desta lembrança que tão pouca me ficou 
The Beatles also used acoustic guitar a lot when they weren't using electric guitars. Some Beatles songs that use it include Norwegian Wood, Blackbird, and I Love Her. I give her all my love. That's all I do. And if you saw my love, you'd love her too. I love her. Julia. Mother Nature's Son All day long I'm sitting singing songs for everyone And what has arguably become the Beatles' most well-known song ever, Yesterday. Yesterday All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday I think the only people I've heard, um, besides obviously the Beatles, are probably Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel, but I really feel like that's most people's interaction with that list, except for maybe like some country singers. Right. So... It's also worth mentioning that guitarists don't usually read regular sheet music, as do most instrumentalists. Some guitarists read specialized tab charts that depict all six strings, and instead of notes and uh, rests on a five-line staff, there are numbers that coordinate with the frets on a fretboard. Uh, for example, if a piece called for a guitarist to play five, then seven, then nine on the B string, then they would play the fifth, seventh, and ninth frets on the B string in that order. And, uh... One person actually described it to me as visually reminiscent of rock band. Oh, rock band. That was a time of my youth that I was never very good at Guitar Hero or rock band. I, I, I played on hard sometimes and the hand shifting just did not ever go well. <laughs> um, tap charts are generally used, though, for more technical music that requires picking. So it's like if you have like the cool guitar solos or something like that. But if you're just doing strumming. You really don't need to use a tap chart. You just need to make sure you know your guitar chords and where they sit in the keys. But if you're doing any sort of picking, tap charts are probably where you want to go. Um, some, some do read regular sheet music, but it's a little bit more visually corresponding on tap charts. Yeah, that makes sense, but but with the tab charts I've read, if there is any strumming, then there is sometimes an apostrophe to mark it, kind of like the uh, the breath marks on some woodwind instrument music. Okay. Anyways, I think that about wraps it up for this episode of Music, the Universal Language. We really hope you enjoyed listening, and can't wait to keep bringing you more content. For the next podcast, we'll be learning how to read. 
If you have any questions about anything we've discussed today, want us to go into detail about anything in particular, want to suggest a topic for us to discuss, or if for some reason our podcast has inspired you to make music, please send all that to the following email address, mtulpodcast at gmail.com. That's mtulpodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.